Well, good morning and welcome everybody to Encounter. Uh, we're going we're gonna to jump into the series here in just a moment. But before we do, I want to give you a special invitation. Uh, you may have received one of these at the door uh, when you came in, both at Fulton Heights and here at Kentwood. Um, this is an invitation card. It's not meant for us. Like, this is your invitation. Uh, we want to help equip you to invite your one to come and worship right here at Encounter this Christmas season. So we're doing two identical Christmas uh, worship experiences. One on Christmas Eve, December 24, uh, here at Kentwood, and the other one at Fulton Heights on Christmas Eve Eve, December 23, also known as Christmas Adam, which we're calling that because Adam came before Eve. It's a fun joke, and you got to explain those. Uh, so December 23 and December 24, Fulton Heights and Kentwood. Uh, sometimes we get the question around like, hey, which one should I attend since they're both uh, live and in person and identical? And the answer to that one is always the same at Encounter. Whichever one is easier for you to invite your one, the one person that God put in your life, uh, a friend, a roommate, a relative, family member, uh, somebody who needs to hear the gospel message of Jesus this Christmas. There's also cookie decorating and a hot cocoa bar, and so it's just uh, it's a fun time for everybody. Uh, I, next week, um, next week during this time, I'm going to, uh, we're going to have a conversation around generosity and giving, and this is what time and we're making our year uh, plans for 2022 for next year, and so ahead of that time, I just simply want to invite you to pray about how God has blessed you to be a blessing in the world, and we're going to have that conversation next week. Today, we continue the series, Fear Less, and remember, if it's not in entirely possible to become fearless, uh, maybe perhaps this Christmas season we can at least learn how to fear a little less. And it's, uh, it's appropriate because the angel showed up to all of the characters in the, in the Christmas story with these same words, do not be afraid. I think the angel did that. God spoke those words for a reason. Uh, the angel shows up to Mary, and we heard last week, do not be afraid to step into what God is asking you to do. What you see as an interruption, God might view as an invitation to experience a better life, uh, a higher life, something new, something else. Next week, we're looking at the story through the eyes of the shepherds and the angel coming to them and, uh, and saying those same words, do not be afraid. Today's a fun one, though. Today, we're looking at the story through the eyes of of Joseph. And I just, I want to be clear and kind of like what we're doing here together when we look at the, the story through the eyes of Joseph. Uh, we're looking at it through, through the eyes of, of trying to fear a little less this season about what other people might be thinking about us. And listen, we all have this fear. We all worry probably far too much about what other people are thinking about us at any given point. Like, like we worry about what kind of car we drive or the, what people think about the clothes that we wear. We, we worry about like how we're wearing our hairstyle. And for some of us, and you know, myself included, as I get older, those options become a little bit more limited. So we're going to be gracious with each other throughout this time. We we worry about whether people will think that we're funny or that we'll fit in. We have all these worries about what people think about us. We worry, uh, we worry about posting those selfies on Instagram and like, how do I hold the camera to minimize the number of chins that I have, right? We have a lot of things that we worry about what other people think about us. Um, fun, uh, fun fact, there's a survey done in the UK and 71% of respondents to the survey said that before they post a selfie, 
they use some kind of uh, software to edit the selfie before posting because we are all concerned about what other people think about us. 71%, uh, most common app used is Facetune. Uh, most common thing that people change about their selfie before posting was uh, most often a skin complexion at like 54% of respondents said that's their, uh, that's their go-to. And then it's face shape. And I think it was like the arm thing, you know, if you forget to do like the arm out and you kind of like do the smushy arm, you can fix that with some, with some software. And then there was some, some other uh, things like uh, I think the behind was on that list and along with um, uh, eye shape and lips. I mean, but people have all kinds of things, right? We do that. We want to change about ourselves before we present that image to the world. Now listen, if, you, if you're in the holy 29% who's like, I would never, I don't care that, I wouldn't use Facetune or one of those other apps. I mean, just be, before you get up on your high horse, while you're polishing up your halo up there, just let me just ask you the question. When you have a group photo taken, right, and they like turn the phone around and like show everybody in the group, who's the first person that you look at to see if it's a good picture or not, right? Right, don't we? Everybody else in the picture has their eyes closed and you're like, oh, I look good. That's a good picture. I think job's done. Like call it a day. Let's go home. Hit this thing hard tomorrow, right? Good picture. Because we all, we care about the image that we're like presenting to the world. We all care. And so that's what today is about, is how, how to obsess a little less about what other people think about us and how to obsess, how to care a little bit more about what God thinks about us and the freedom that can come as a result. And so to do that, we're going to go to the, uh, we're going to go to the, the Christmas story as told through the eyes of Joseph. We're going to go to Matthew chapter one, fun part about the Bible, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Jesus, four different perspectives on the same events. So last week we heard, do not be afraid, through the eyes of Mary, uh, out of the gospel of Luke. Today, Matthew tells us the story from the eyes primarily through Joseph. So let's jump into the story here. A little context uh, before we read. Remember last week, in case you weren't with us, we said that this, um, this engagement and marriage, it was more of a process than an event. And so we said back then, uh, it was a three-stage process. Number one, there was this engagement, not exactly the, the fun romantic engagement that we have today, but it was like the bride and grooms-to-be fathers sitting down and like hammering out the details and uh, the, the agreement, more or less, of the arranged marriage engagement. Then the betrothal, that's the ceremony, there was pledging, there was vows involved, and then there was the actual marriage about a year after the betrothal took place. Uh, he would come and like make a, a, a dramatic entrance and uh, they would live uh, her and him happily ever after. Mary and Joseph in the story were dropping in at the time. It's after their betrothal. So they like made these vows to one another and it's before the actual marriage is complete. So I just, I think that's going to be helpful for us as we kind of get in because they're pledged to be married, but, but they are married. And I think it just kind of culturally clears a little bit of that one up. Matthew 1, starting up in verse 18, the story goes like this. This is how the birth of, the, of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. So this is this betrothal thing happening. Uh, but before they came together, before like that one year kind of waiting period, she, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, I recognize that it's like mid-December 
We're barreling towards Christmas, by the way. Uh, Christmas happens in, uh, in December this year, so shopping, get that done. Uh, we're, we're in like this Christmas season, and so there's this temptation when we read the Jesus story uh, to kind of like use our dramatic holy voices like, and she was foundeth to be pregnanteth through the Holy Spirit, and we get all King James on this, and, and it gets like fancy. But like, remember, think about this story from the perspective of Joseph, which is what Matthew, the author, is inviting us to do. He just found out that his, his wife is pregnant and it's not his. Like, this opens it up for a little bit of controversy. You know, we, we heard it from her perspective last week, and we're not just trying to minimize that at all. But, but today, this week, we are going to stay focused on what this means for Joseph and, like, what's running through his head. She's trying to, she's trying to explain this situation away. Like, okay, um, Joseph, I know what you're thinking, um, and you know that the baby isn't yours, but I got to tell you, it's, it's not someone else's either. The, the baby belongs to to God. And Joseph, I think, is hearing this, and he's, his reaction is a little bit like, like Olaf from Frozen, when Kristoff is like talking to the rocks, you guys know, and he's like, she's crazy. She has either absolutely lost her mind or her credibility. She's either gone off the rocker or she's just outright making the entire thing up and lying. I want to just kind of inject something here. And I want to just, I want us as a community to recognize together like pregnancy, when you're not ready for it, especially when you're a teenager, like it's a scary thing. It's universally, almost always a scary thing. And, and back then it was no different, but I'm talking about right now today. And I want to say, I have been, on only a handful of occasions, I have been welcomed in and honored to some of the early conversations where a young, young lady, young woman, shares with me that, that she's not ready for this. And I got to say, as a, as a pastor, and just not knowing how he's going to respond, how the church is going to respond. I can't tell you how every church is going to respond to a conversation like that, but I can tell you how this one's going to. Is that we're going to respond with, with compassion, with grace. We're going to respond with love and care and resources. Our next move is almost always going to be to set you up with somebody who has been in those shoes, who has walked a mile in that place and has been brought through on the other side with a God story to tell as a result. I'm simply saying it's always difficult As mature adults, we recognize that it's not necessarily the order that God ordained, right? First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby, and the baby cares. We recognize sometimes the order of that thing gets mixed up, but our response is resources, love, and care every single time. Now, it's always difficult, but then, 2,000 years ago, you know, we heard last week, Mary's life was on the line, but we're talking about Joseph right now. Joseph isn't exempt from this thing either. 
Like he's going to carry a mark around with him probably for the rest of his life. I mean, just imagine uh, if he calls it off, you know, it's it's time to call this thing what it is. We're breaking up, we're getting a divorce, we're splitting. And imagine his dad now trying to renegotiate a new marriage contract with this in in his background. You know, it's just like, imagine, for he's a carpenter, right? So his, his work life kind of revolves, word of mouth, business referrals. Stuff kind of starts to, starts to dry up. People, people get a little squirrely around him. They don't really want to engage him. They don't really want to talk to him. He's, got, he's kind of marked. He's kind of marked in, in so many things. It's like, I, I just don't want to do business with him. I don't want to be around him. He tries to take his donkey in for an oil change or like whatever they do for donkeys at 3,000 miles way back then, and they're like, hey, listen, we don't work on this kind of, kind of donkey, you know? He's marked from that moment on. And I think there's this side of Joseph that is going, maybe we just start over. Maybe we call it. And that's what he decided to do in verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Most of the commentaries that I read about this one, uh, and I I agree, say this was a move out of his character. This is a a noble move. Uh, This is a move that was doing what he could to honor her. So what, what he could have done is to make his life a little bit easier and her life much, much worse. Like if he throws up his hands, like she cheated on me, baby's not mine, can you believe what she, if he does this to her, his life could be a little bit better, her life could be much, much worse. But he chooses not to. He chooses to stand side by side, shoulder to shoulder with her and says, I think that what we have to do, Mary, maybe you move over there, you have the baby, maybe, maybe people there don't know about it, you know, maybe you can start over, or maybe, maybe I move over here, maybe we can, I can start over here, and you know, maybe we can get like a redo on, on life. And he's about to learn this really, really important truth. But I think anybody and everybody who follows Jesus long enough is going to start to recognize that pleasing God oftentimes means disappointing other people. Like we we got to get that, especially when we, when we are worried about what other people think about us all the time, that pleasing God, almost as a blanket statement, oftentimes means disappointing other people. Joseph is just about to get that lesson in verse 20. Listen up. After, verse 20, but after, keep in, keep in mind that word. Uh, if you've got like a Bible app, like you can highlight that one. Uh, you, can, you can circle that one on a, on a paper Bible. After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, and here's our line, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus because he'll he'll save his people from their sins. I love the word after. Let me just ask, do we have any Bob Goff fans at Kenwood Fulton Heights? Raise your hand. Nice, nice. 
Uh, everybody always, um, just a hand, handful of books. He's got this line. I don't even remember like where it is, but I like flagged it. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to use that someday. This is the moment. Uh, he wrote one time, uh, when, be patient when life gets weird, when your relationships get weird. Be patient. Because remember, the angel visited Joseph after he had a conversation with Mary, not before. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're responding on that. That's good, right? Like, because life gets weird sometimes, doesn't it? And like, God, what was that all about? Like, life is just absolutely turned upside down. And we got to be reminded that sometimes, I think, sometimes God keeps us intentionally in the dark, I think, because he knows that if he was going to, like, lay out the entire plan, like, all of the steps, Joseph probably would have booked it. Like, he would have left. I can't, I can't handle this. You're, you're melting my brain right now, and I'm out. No, the angel, things were weird for a little while. The angel comes not before, after his conversation. It's like, I'm just asking you for one step at a time. And Joseph... He gets this message from the angel. And I just got to kind of believe that Joseph is, is like a lot of us. Like he's probably not completely resolute in his decision. Like he's probably kind of oscillating like back and forth. Like the angel came to me. Like holy cow, I'm going to be able to have this huge, this mark and the whole world. I'm going to be affected, a change on all of human history. But like how am I going to tell my mom? <laughs> you know? I'm going to marry that girl. I'm going to marry Mary. I love and care about her. I should absolutely not marry Mary. What am I doing? What is, what is even happening here? Like he's, he's going back and forth between, I should run away, save myself. I should be obedient to God's lead in my life. This whole conversation is framed around what are people going to think about him? I want to give you this. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. Or you could say, is the quickest way to forget what God says about you. When we start playing that narrative in our mind, of, do people think that I'm good enough? Do people think that I'm important enough? Do people think that I'm helpful enough, that I'm kind enough? What we're doing is we're actually surrendering our lives to the people around us. I remember one person, he, he said it so well. He goes, why, why, do, why do we do this? Why do we allow people whom we wouldn't ever welcome into our homes, but we do give them a place to take up residence in our heads? Why do we do this? Becoming obsessed of what other people think about us is the quickest way to totally forget what God thinks about us. But church, the inverse is also true. That becoming obsessed with what God thinks about us is the quickest way to be free from what people think about you. You've heard it said. For me, in the past, I say this all the time. I'm going to keep saying it. That if we live for their applause, we'll die. We'll die by their criticism. And man, is there going to be a lot of criticism I mean, there's just a lot to critique. If you could take a stand for something, take a stand for anything, you are opening yourself up for a world of criticism. It could be something as trivial 
is your taste in music or TV shows. Oh, you like that kind of music. You like watching that show, nerd. <laughs> like, it's just, it's going to open yourself up for this huge amount of criticism. Politics, oh, did he say politics? We're going politics. <laughs> if you, if you be- think of any, literally any political belief that you might hold that wouldn't open you up for a world of criticism for a, from a huge number of people, I was doing like weddings during the COVID season. And so we'd like show up to the wedding and like part of the protocol is like, oh, mask or no mask. And I'm like, I am the officiant. I'm a guest here. Like, I do not want to be involved in this. I'm just trying to like get them married. That's my job. Just tell me, tell me what they're doing. I'm like, what, what, but what do you think, pastor? And so I developed a line. I'm like, okay, this is, I am a radical and relentless pursuer of peace and unity in this divided world. And the re- the response that I got, standing in the middle of the road, you're going to get hit. <laughs> like, what is that? Right? Like, you, you can't win. I mean, the only way you could try to, you could hope to win, is to, like, literally never take a stand for anything ever. And even then, as I learned, like, middle of the road, you know, you're going to get hit by someone. It might be that person, right? Like, we're opening ourselves up for a huge amount of criticism. I, I think it's probably time that we just own that right? And we just recognize that following Jesus, it's going to be weird. And the weirdness that it comes with is going to open us up to some kind of criticism. Like I've journeyed with enough people. People who've said, you know what? I've got a good job, a lucrative paycheck, and at the prime of my career, I'm going to walk away from it. And like the criticism is like, What? Why would you do that? I just, I think that God is calling me to be a part of like this ministry over here instead. What are you doing? Or the opposite of somebody who's like, I had a good job, lucrative career, and I'm staying in it. I'm going to keep on doing this thing because it, it generates a, more income than I could have ever imagined otherwise. And I can give away more income than I could have ever imagined before. And it's like, that's weird. And the criticism that comes along with it, you know it's coming along with that. I talked to one guy one time, he, was, uh, he wanted to follow Jesus, and he was trying to honor God with his whole life. The problem was, problem was his, his friend group was not there, not on the same page at all. And so they were like way into the party scene and a bunch of, caught up in a bunch of stuff that he was like very, very convicted, I should not be a part of anymore. But he's like, listen, to try to honor God in this environment is remarkably difficult. It is weird, and I am opening myself up to a huge amount of criticism, almost on a daily basis. Which is why I think the church is called to be this gathering of like love and support for people, to give not something for somebody to come to, not just away from. It's just, it's weird opening up this kind of criticism all the time. Some of you, some of you have lived that. I've, I've lived that. Uh, my wife and I, when we, when we first got married, uh, starting off in life, just graduating college. I go into a seminary, this pastor's training school, so I made no money. She had a, she, she was my sugar mama. She made all the money. She was a high school teacher, right? And I remember, like, the contract that she got is really, like, salaried. Like, you get paid when you sleep. Like, this is the most magical thing in the world, I'm thinking. I was the one working. Uh, but I remember the contract, $28,000 a year. And I'm like, whoo, I have never imagined so much money. Two weeks later, I realized, no, it actually isn't that much money. <laughs> a lot tighter. A lot tighter than we thought. But we had a couple of broken down cars. We eventually sold one and 
I had a bicycle instead, but we had her car. It was a, it was a white Plymouth Sundance. Anybody under 30 is like, what's a Plymouth? Exactly. That's the point. Uh, we call it the bread box because it was only a little bit bigger. The headline, or the headliner, you know, the fabric was like falling down. And so we tried tape, we tried glue, we tried staples, like nothing would work. We found out like pins, if you pinned it, like that would work. But then the pins fall down into the seat and that's an entirely like new problem. So we'd show up, she'd show up. In her, in her high school parking lot, and I'm not exaggerating when I say it was far and away the worst car in the entire high school parking lot, students included, <laughs> just saying something. And the criticism, like, you've got a job now. You've got a career now. Just buy a new car, right? I'm like, I really do not have enough money to buy a new car. That's fine. It's like zero interest or whatever. Just get, get a new car and and quit being weird about it. And we have these convictions. Like, I, don't, I really don't think that we should start off life, start off marriage on that note. Like, we don't want this financial burden hanging over top of us. And at the same time, it's like we have this conviction. We're going to live on less than we make. And, and we're going to be generous. And we're going to tithe, like, outside of ourselves. And, not, and that, that means being weird. And, like, the weird kind of criticism that people had around just the way that we were trying to live out our convictions. And looking back now, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, because like trying to follow God's call in our life is going to mean disappointing in some strange way the other people around us. The key here, though, is being obsessed with what God thinks about us, with what God says about us. Because listen to me, church, listen. You know it's true. You can't please everybody. Amen? Amen. Amen. But you can please one. You can please the one. Our obedience over top of the grace of Jesus in our lives can propel us to the place late in life and then in our death where we stand before our Father in heaven and hear those sweet words, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You can't please everybody, but you can please one. There's going to be criticism, but what's asked of you, number two, is just simple obedience. A lot of you I know have heard this before, but just don't, don't let it... Don't neglect this weird part of the story of our faith that God was born because of a couple of unprepared teenagers said yes to obedience to God. And that same spirit that convicted Mary and Joseph, those teenagers thousands of years ago, that same spirit is inside of each one of you today. As you profess to follow Jesus, the Spirit of God is in you, and he's nudging you in the direction of his obedience. And think of the extraordinary work that can be done with our ordinary acts of obedience. He's nudging you. Like, like, like what is he nudging you toward? I would say, if, if you're like brand new to encounter, to church in general, he's nudging you simply to come back next week, to be a part 
of a community to begin this rhythm of faith. If you've been a part of a church, any church for a while, it's possible time to get off the sidelines, stop being a consumer and start being a contributor by joining a serving team. He's, he's nudging, he's leading, he's asking you for some kind, some kind of obedience. Maybe it's the inviting the one thing for Christmas. Let's hear the gospel story together. Let's risk my social capital. He, he's nudging you. Maybe to leave your job. Maybe to stay in your job. He's, he's got this nudge and he's asking you just for some obedience. It's weird and there's going to be criticism. But on the other end of our ordinary obedience is an extraordinarily powerful act of God. You can't please everyone, but you can please the one. I'd like to share a story with you guys as we wrap up our time together that I think just, it, it frames our conversation so well. True story about this dad who's trying to teach his son the intricacies of T-ball. <laughs> and he starts off this way. He said, uh, the, the point of T-ball, of course, is to just to learn the game the rules, the positions, basic plays. This kid was so excited to learn to play baseball and compete. Even five years old, he's excited and wanted to win. But then when they told him that they don't keep score in five-year-old t-ball, the kid was crushed. And he goes, honestly, he wasn't the only one who was crushed. Like, dad, dad, was, dad was crushed too. On the way home from the first game, the kid looked up at his dad and he asked, if they don't keep score how do I know if I win? Actually, dad was unofficially definitely keeping score in his head, and he knew that they won. His son won, uncon- or he won convincingly, but he didn't want to say that to the kid because, again, it's about development of skills, fielding skills, batting skills, hand-eye coordination, and definitely attention span. And so the, the kid, and so dad said to the kid, okay, from now on, I'm going to always be standing where you can see me. Whether you're on the field or at bat, whatever. And anytime you do something, catch the ball, miss the ball, hit the ball, swing at the ball seven times and knock over the tee, get on base or not, dig a rock out of the dirt while you're waiting in left field to throw it at the center fielder, you look at me. You'll know where to find me. And if I give you the thumbs up, that's the sign that you did a good job. That means that you're winning when I give you the thumbs up, you give the thumbs up right back to me. He goes, wouldn't you know it? It was the highlight of the season. It reduced the entire game to one ambition, one goal, the thumbs up from one person, dad. All these people around him, all the rules he didn't understand, but one clear goal. A thumbs up from dad. You can't please everyone. My prayer for you this week is that you will live for the approval of just one. Your heavenly father. Your dad. And may your whole life be lived in gratitude as one thumbs up back from him. After all, we don't have to wonder what he thinks about us. Christmas is about how God showed us what he thinks about you and I.
that when he had to decide what our life and our eternities are worth, he said, well, I think it's worth about as much as my son, Jesus Christ. You know what God thinks. He loves you to death and back again to new life. Let's stand up and let's, uh, let's, let's pray to God at Fulton Heights in your living room at home. Uh, listen, I want to invite you to, to pray about this a little bit further. Uh, we have a prayer team set up in back. We would love to pray with you. Just during this last song, uh, you're, you're invited to, uh, to simply hear about God's gospel message, your identity over your life. Uh, in the comment section below, if you're watching online, we'd love to continue praying with you uh, that way as well. God, may we care this week a little less. May we obsess a little less about what other people think about us, God. And, and may we look at you, strategically placing yourself always where we can find you, giving us that thumbs up, and saying, my grace is more than enough. God, may we respond with a thumbs up of our own, which is, just, which is our obedience. As weird as these steps may be, as much as they might invite criticism in our lives, you're worth it, God. You are so worth it. God, we recognize that you're up to something in our lives, that you are doing a new thing, even now, especially now. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group, or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.